0: On the 32nd edition of the Twin Geek Cast, we're looking at Sam Peckinpah's 50th anniversary for The Wild Bunch. It's a hard-nosed western featuring Ernest Borgnine and William Holden. We'll also look at some bombs in the box office with Secret Life of Pets and X-Men. And Keanu Reeves is all around us, so we're going to explore his celebrity. We've also got new music provided by Andrew Napier. This week we have a new tune from Andrew John Napier, an old uh, middle school, high school friend of mine. Um, we used to do a band together. Uh, funny story about him, we we would sit around together doing like a pre-podcast. We'd just record our voices and just send it to each other uh, way back in the day. So it was like the wild west days. Very that's, embarrassing stuff.
1: It's funny, it kind of comes full circle now doing podcast stuff and now he's recording stuff for a podcast it's a it's a really great intro i like having something original now for it and i think it's a after 30 episodes we're inclined to change it
0: yeah i think it's good to get a um into something original i like that he recorded with the full instrumentation and um if you if you want to look for more of andrew's stuff uh, at andrewnapiermusic.com we'll be crediting him throughout since it's it's really good to have a someone professional and uh, trustworthy behind the music here.
1: We can put a link to it in our our notes or description as well for this episode so Absolutely. Can check it out. Yeah.
0: Um I that... so so like the basis for the music was it was a uh, originally recorded for a Spanish film. Um oh. the the music we're using it's called Neon and uh, it was supposed to be for it's a short film about a couple that were in a gastropub but uh didn't end up reaching full production so it's all ours now
1: well, that's cool we just get a uh, he passed on something that he was able to do so I'm glad we can make use of something that he wasn't able to to get uh you know put into something else
0: yeah it's just been sitting dormant for years so we're we're very lucky to have that uh, and he's done some work for sony and wb you can check it out uh, on his website
1: yeah i'm gonna leave a link to that uh we also wanted to talk about we're gonna talk about a big influential figure for this week right kind of someone who's blown up in the past couple years here
0: yeah we've had the week of Keanu Reeves let's let's call it the year of Keanu Reeves
1: Mm -hmm. I think I think we could say this is where Keanu is kind of like we've seen the trend over the past couple years now of Keanu really making a full comeback after the post matrix fallout
0: yeah at the start of the year we had uh, replicas which was kind of a reminder of what his old career used to look like like this is a film that was held in production for about two years. It was a pretty miserable sci-fi movie, but um, then we get to see kind of where he's at now. Him walking out on stage at E3 last week It's kind of like the realization of a moment.
1: Mm-hmm. He's been kind of all over the news, you know, probably because I think it's. Was something of a poor example since it is kind of a leftover from last year but you know this year we've had him in you know John Wick 3 huge box office smash we talked about a lot still in the box office this week even and then there was a you sent me the clip for the the Netflix film he he had a kind of short cameo in
0: yeah he has a well he has a bit of a cameo in it he shows up and he's dating this girl that this guy's always been infatuated with um and it's like oh shit it's Keanu Reeves and this guy could never measure up to it, but maybe he can by being there and always being the girls. Maybe that's where the title comes from. So, uh, mm-hmm. There's also a very funny uh, Keanu Reeves rap at the
1: end. A rap. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he comments on like Bill and Ted, um, a lot of stuff about excellent adventures and the Matrix. It's pretty good stuff. That's funny. Uh, I think that we've reached uh, peak Keanu Reeves, though.
1: Oh, I don't know if we've we've peaked yet. I think he still could potentially, you know, go. But at the same time, I see that, like, especially I I was a little disappointed by John Wick three in some ways, so I could see it kind of on the on the downtrend now potentially.
0: Um, I think. Did you see the Cyberpunk trailer where he kind of reveals his glasses?
1: Yeah. I saw the the clip of that real quick, and I thought that was really, I uh, I mean, if anything, I was impressed by how far technology has come in terms of video games and what we can do now. He's just literally Keanu Reeves in the game.
0: Yeah, I know Microsoft were looking over it, and they were saying like they don't really like bringing celebrities out. it usually goes badly. I'd say nine out of ten times, it's very awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you usually get the feeling they were like dragged on stage. They don't really care, and it was it was so perfect. He walked out. The guy yells, "You're breathtaking!" and Keanu gives it right back. He says, everyone's breathtaking in the room.
1: Right. Well, that's kind of the whole uh, trend thing as well. Like the love of Keanu Reeves has blossomed into this. He's just such a a wholesome person and personality. And you always hear these feel-good stories about... These things he does for people or, you know, when he kind of has, you know, he shares a nice moment with fans and he's always just a genuinely nice and inspiring person, which is kind of really incredible. You don't see that as much. Most celebrity stories, you're always worried about, oh, God, this person's going to turn out to be <laughs> a horrible dick. Yeah,
0: I mean, I watched a video of him with puppies just to prepare and uh, the puppy starts eating his shoelace and he's like, go ahead, puppy, eat my shoelace. I, I get an impression he's always that way.
1: Mm-hmm. It's really nice to see, because I know, you know, it's it's not always been an easy life for Keanu. You know, he's had his kind of uh, dark moments that he doesn't necessarily show off too much as well. You know, I know the... And
0: I feel like a lot of men in Hollywood right now, the big story is, uh, how were they abusive, or how did they, you know, get one over on women? And uh, with Keanu, like, the memes going around are like, he won't touch women's back if he takes a picture with them.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it's just all very wholesome stuff. And he's um I, know, just... I
0: think i think he's a good star for the time right i feel like the time finally caught up to what Keanu's always been doing
1: mm-hmm. i think that's that's definitely the case you know he uh, like i said i think in the post matrix career he got kind of boxed into this certain thing and it, you know he just was in a series of unnotable films and various flops but finally in what like in 2014 he kind of bounced back with big with john wick the kind of sleeper hit there and then it's just been kind of a notable success after notable success. And now he's here. And I think what the next thing we got lined up is uh, he's already made it even into Toy Story. He's got a cameo, you know, a small character in the new Toy Story film coming up.
0: He, pl- he plays a Canadian Daredevil in Toy Story later this month. Um, and Bill and Ted's just started shooting. Uh, we're going to have a good year or so of
1: Yeah, I'm very excited. Keanu's always been a star. I'm a big fan of hopefully one day we'll get to talk about. My favorite Keanu film here. I'd love to talk about Point Break sometime with you.
0: I thought we were going to go Scanner Darkly, but okay.
1: <laughs> we all got our favorite Keanu films. I think there's there's a, a good array to pick from now, both from the kind of the 90s pool of everything going on there as well as the more recent you know, stuff.
0: I, I've kind of expected and kind of also received it that Scanner Darkly would get a little bit of a comeback coming off of that Spider-Man art style. Because it's yeah. very similar to that.
1: Oh, because it's all rotoscoped. It's rotoscoped animated, which is a kind of unique thing.
0: Yeah, um, and it's a Linklater film. That's a that's a really good adaptation of Philip Dick, too. But we're getting mm-hmm. off base here.
1: Well, it's it's still all Keanu talk, but yeah, uh, I I agree that I think uh, Keanu is kind of in the limelight right now and really you know showcasing how how wonderful a personality he is and you know we can see why we gravitate towards him so much.
0: I, I feel like you need know, like to have a nice off with like Tom Hanks and see who's the nicest <laughs> man in Hollywood because it's one of those two people.
1: I, I agree. Whenever uh, you know the, the nice person in Hollywood kind of comes up or the wholesome character, it's between Keanu and Tom Hanks, which are interesting because they're like polar opposite in terms of the kind of actors they are.
0: Yeah. I think it's good to step back and celebrate people like that because there are so many gross people right now that, are, that are a lot of bad stories out there that we don't really cover because it's political and uncomfortable
1: yeah no i i agree with that certainly so it's nice to highlight the the nice ones still it's easy to want to shit all over hollywood and the the machine that creates terrible toxic humans but not always
0: not all men or something like that
1: <laughs> <laughs> not to okay. make it political <laughs> mm-hmm well, uh, why don't we uh, turn our eye to the box office now and kind of go over our, our ten for this week? I think yeah. there's a couple of new ones to talk about, a lot of old ones. Sure. All right. Uh, number ten, we have uh, Booksmart here, still hanging in.
0: Um, Booksmart. Booksmart's nice. I feel like it. It's got it's due on the internet. Uh, my entire Twitter feed's been Booksmart appreciation for the last month. Um, and I like I like to see that. Uh, I like seeing when the internet kind of claims something as its own.
1: Yeah, I agree that the, the universal love of Booksmart's been very loud. Even within our own site here, you know, Kevin has certainly spoken out about it and really enjoyed it.
0: His favorite of the year, I think. Or maybe it's Deadpool. Who knows?
1: It, it could be one of those two, probably. <laughs> There's uh.
0: nothing in common with those two, but they're both <laughs> very good movies.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine, we have uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu still here as well.
0: I think we'll see more Pokemon. I don't think it's ever going to be like this again, though.
1: Hmm. I'm interested to to know, because I know this has taken off, but the general reception and the E3 news to the new Pokemon game that they've got yeah. planned is is generally kind of negative. Like, everyone's kind of tired of Game Freak not actually doing anything interesting or new. They're just doing, like, bare minimum, you know, like little things to try and make the game different, but not really. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I. I mean... Whether or not Game Freaks reached a dead end, I feel like they allowed a lot of freedom in this film to kind of show the Pokemon that the directors wanted and that the writers really chose to write about. Because uh, if you're just showing what's currently going on with the game, it's like a thousand creatures to work with.
1: Yeah, almost at this point.
0: (laughs) It's almost reached such a capacity that you can't really design something new around that Mm -hmm. many systems and that many creatures.
1: Yeah, I think at this point, it might be for the best if, if they kind of dial back. Like, maybe if they don't die off at the very least, kind of uh, take a break from making games for a bit. You know, we'll see how this new yeah. one goes and then see. But, you know, they can divert a lot of their attention to potential new movies.
0: And it should have been the big moment of Pokemon going to consoles. It's not like Pokemon XD or whatever that was. Um, right. It's, it's actually a moment. So... uh We'll see if it actually makes that impact. There's a lot of capacity on Switch to support it. So,
1: mm-hmm. well, we'll certainly see. But that one was one of the lesser Switch titles, I think, to be kind of announced at E3 this year. Oh,
0: oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, I was, I was pretty excited by some of the Switch things. Did you watch any of them?
1: Uh, I didn't watch like a whole lot. I wasn't even able to find time, but I did see like all the things that are being released and whatnot. And they, they got like a full catalog coming. Anyone who's interested in everything going on, even just in the next month here, you know, they already got a lot of shit ready for us.
0: Well, Kevin got his Banjo-Kazooie, which has always helped yes. for, <laughs> for years. <laughs> I'm just happy about that. I'm happy for Kevin.
1: Mm-hmm. For the the new Smash edition, I think uh, the general fan base very much appreciated Banjo it's great. coming in.
0: It's great because it showed his silhouette, and then it it was just right, the, um, the
1: duck hunt dog, the duck hunt
0: dog, <laughs> and he was just holding a dead bird. So it doesn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but then it came back, and it was trolling Kevin a little bit, which I also appreciated.
1: It was funny to see you guys had a, a lengthy discussion about E three. I know.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's fun to watch it as a staff and it's a big event um we also started our own youtube so you could look out for that see some uh occasional video games but we're a yeah. film site what's what very, other films very occasional
1: are yeah right less films uh at number eight here we have uh, avengers endgame still and i think at this point we're
0: is what's the story on endgame right now
1: we're i think we're locked in for it not surpassing avatar finally right
0: yeah it looks like it's not going to happen um I I don't know uh did you see that clip of a I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow realizing that she wasn't in uh Spider-Man?
1: No, I didn't no, <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing.
0: Yeah, John Favreau was standing next to her. They're they're doing some cooking show and and she's like uh, yeah, uh well I wasn't in the Spider-Man. He's like you were in the Spider-Man. You came out during the graduation. She's like uh no, I shot Avengers. I I know what I was in. <laughs> But uh, she doesn't even know what the roles are, which tells you a lot about how Marvel shoots these movies.
1: Right. Very kind of out of order and sporadically. Like you you don't know what part you're shooting for which what movie. Yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, it's it's really hard to believe that they all care about the material when they, you know, when it's so, possible for someone not even to know they're in a film.
1: Mm-hmm. Certainly Gwyn- Gwyneth Paltrow, I think, as well. Like what She's been uninvested in this since probably the first or second Iron Man film, <laughs> which is <laughs> right. the, the majority of the one she's been in.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll see if she's in New Spider-Man, but don't ask her if she isn't now.
1: Right. Uh, let's see. Number seven, we have John Wick, Chapter 3, like we talked about a little bit here.
0: I think I like it a lot more than you do. I think it sets up an opportunity for four that I'm, I'm very, very interested in.
1: I think you definitely like it more than I do. I mean, just based on your rating on on Letterboxd, it's like you seem like you really liked it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's in my top ten so far. It it might not stay there, but it is.
1: Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I I definitely felt a bit like you know empty by a lot of what was going on, and it just seems that the the story has taken a very you know stark you know difference from the original film, which was kind of very. Uh, Much more realistic and kind of held to a more subtle, you know, standpoint there. And now they just kind of go on whole hog into this weird Assassin universe thing. And it's gotten very nonsensical, I feel.
0: I know it's a good franchise, though, because people could pick their favorites. uh, There's a a variety of people who like one, two, or three.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I still think overall it's the superior um, uh, Keanu Reeves franchise to the Matrix films. Whereas, yeah, you know, I, the Matrix yeah. has like the one really solid film, and then the other two kind of lame. And whereas, I don't even. One...
0: <laughs> I don't know if you're on board. I, I don't love the Matrix either. So.
1: Oh, I'm. I I like the Matrix a lot, but I don't feel like it's aged. The first one has aged terribly well. It's got a lot of 90s-isms to it. Yeah, and it's again, it's severely,
0: more... it's severely on the verge of the millennium. That's how it mm-hmm.
1: feels. And, and certainly, again, a kind of crucial film, but not one that I, I love as much as the many fans out there. And, you know, some people will claim it's like one of the best action movies ever. And I'm, uh, uh, you know, not quite. I think it's a very, it's more of an interesting sci-fi film, I think, than an action film.
0: I think retroactively, my favorite thing is that now that they're trans directors, you could claim that as one of the huge successes for a trans community. So I yeah. love that about it now. But otherwise, it hasn't aged for me.
1: Mm-hmm. I still revisit from time to time, but never the sequels. No,
0: um, I'd like to, though. I haven't seen them in forever.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing. I think the John Wick films, they're much stronger as a series, you know, whereas obviously uh, The Matrix was kind of just planned as one film and then fell apart from there. Even though the first John Wick was only planned as one, I feel like the second film really did a good job of capitalizing on that and building off of it.
0: Uh, I feel like it's building proper blocks out the last ones. I I don't think... uh any of our listeners could go out and have a good time with this
1: oh yeah i think absolutely Uh, i i've said the same thing for anyone who's asked me about it if all you're looking for out of john wick is just a kick-ass action sequences after many then you're gonna get that that's what the film is
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely Uh, i had a brilliant time but uh what about number six here
1: number six is ma it's a new octavia spencer horror film
0: Yeah, I had less of a good time. Octavia Spencer's good and everything, but I don't, I don't want to keep talking about it very long. Uh, She messes with some teenagers. It's not exactly what it looks like.
1: Mm -hmm. Is it? Does it have any redeeming qualities, or is it just kind of boring or lame? Or Uh,
0: mostly Octavia Spencer and you like Misery. There's a little Misery in it, but uh, not quite as good.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't think anything is going to live up to Misery, but it's nice to see that I guess there is that influence somewhere still.
0: She definitely fills the part of like that kathy Bates character i I mean she has the look she's not she's not casted because she's a beauty or something right
1: right right I mean that's an intentional choice i think
0: i I like that that women can get by on talent now and can land a cool role like that so that's neat,
1: yeah all right uh keep going here number five we've got Rocket Man,
0: which is uh my favorite film of the year,
1: yeah. I'm surprised with how well it's doing still. Well, it ranked another yeah. 13 million this week.
0: Look, it's it's been close to Godzilla.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's a uh, really fantastic uh, that it is doing as well as it is. You know, I would love it to do even better because this is also my favorite of the year. But but I don't think I loved it quite as much despite my more uh, versed you know interest in Elton John. I think we talked about yeah. this a lot kind of uh, last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think
2: uh
0: I think musicals too have a good holdover because they expect people to come back and kinda of sing along. You could have a more fun uh repeat showing than Definitely. you can with like uh with Godzilla or Ma or something, let <laughs> you already know the ending and you know, uh, most right. narrative films, there's no reason, but uh, this should have a good holdover. It should be here. I I hope it outlasts some of these other things.
1: I uh, I'm gonna predict another two weeks it's gonna be in the top ten here. That's my prediction.
0: Yeah, we're going to have a full few weeks coming up, so I just hope it. I hope people go see it. I love it.
1: Mm-hmm. I think I'll pick this up when it comes out eventually, because I enjoyed it that much.
0: Oh, me too. I'm getting it right away on Blu-ray. I want my daughter to kind of grow up around it. And <laughs> I want to have it in the home.
1: Uh, I want to say well, one thing I have, and I've, I've, of course, been listening to more Elton John since then. Another album I recommend is I love uh, Honky Chateau a lot. That's the one I've been listening to a lot.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's full of good stuff.
1: Yeah, I love that one a lot. So that's another recommendation on the pile there. Uh, at number four, we have Godzilla, King of the Monsters.
0: I have no interest. I, <laughs> I I didn't even realize there was a Godzilla fan base until Jesse told me he was a part of it.
1: Really? I mean, with all of the many Godzilla films and all the kind of cheap ones and costume stuff, how did you not realize there was like a cult fan base for this?
0: Well, I I thought it was a cult fan base. I didn't realize there was like a very vocal online following.
1: I'm pretty sure like all cult followings online are vocal.
0: <laughs> I just mean I think it's it's a lot larger than I ever expected uh, i I never thought they were like particularly interesting films but maybe I'm mm-hmm. looking down on it too much.
1: No, I get you. I'm not all in the the kaiju camp either. Like, you know, the people who went crazy for Pacific Rim a couple years back, I I wasn't one of those. I'm like, yeah, punching (laughs) giant monsters is cool, but what about characters? You know, I need more than wooden planks to watch. Uh,
0: Why would you have those? I, I do like 2014 Godzilla, which is inexplicable
1: Mm mm-hmm it's it's one of those weird things you always have like this one weird film you pick out of a bunch and you're like yeah i really like this one and i can't explain why
0: i i mean i could explain that it's perfectly shot um i think it's as well shot as any blockbuster from 2014
2: Mm -hmm.
1: mm-hmm i don't know i I agree with you i don't have a lot of interest in King of the Monsters or any Godzilla film. I think what I've enjoyed most is kind of like watching the ride of hype for the film. Like everyone <laughs> yeah. was like after the first trailers, like this is gonna be so great. There's so many monsters involved, everything, and then it just kind of like went over the cliff after the I, film came out and all. that. I didn't understand.
0: Going. The more I heard was in this film, the more I thought it was gonna be a <laughs> catastrophic mess.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it was like, "You're so you're just packing everything in, huh?" And then it sounds like it's just a trailer for King Kong versus Godzilla next year.
1: Potentially. I don't even know if that one's going to be interesting. I think people were much more interested in the, the other various monsters, the Mothras and, you know, Ghidorah oh, yeah. and stuff, than they are King Kong.
0: They they did put out a letter saying, like, Hollywood never does this, that, uh, sorry we failed you with the, this Godzilla, but next time we're really going to make up for it and give you something you you really like.
1: Did they really put out, like, an official letter or something to the fans?
0: I think it was, like, a producer, so they will look it up later. I... I never like to fact-check for our content. I like seeing after the fact.
1: Yeah, no, I agree that that's our our style here, is to blurt out random shit and then just hope that it's all true. Um, We
0: just say things and then beg for forgiveness later.
1: (laughs) All right, uh, speaking of begging for forgiveness, you want to talk a little bit more about number three here, Aladdin?
0: No, but I will. (laughs) Uh, Aladdin's... uh... (sighs) I have been frustrated with like the fan base reaction to my review that everyone says that it's their favorite movie or uh, it's an improvement on the old one. I I don't see how.
1: I don't know how you could even say like I, I'm gonna again speak from ignorance here, having not seen the film. But I think it's arrogant to try and say that this would be superior to the original film and, and kind of a you know insulting to the legacy of Robin Williams. A lot of it because that really is his his movie. That's what people most identify him with.
0: I was so bored within about 10 minutes cuz I knew everything that would happen. It doesn't do anything especially new. And mm-hmm. what it does do like it it's inconsequential whether or not the genie has a romance cuz that doesn't matter to the plot.
1: Right. Well, I I found it interesting as well how how much people were not receptive to your your critique of the film in in the (laughs) the review, because I think you were fair. You were very, you know, forthright with uh, the your critiques and the problems you had with it and actually broke down why they weren't good. And, you know, yeah, it was a writing review, but
0: (laughs) I gave credit to like the the one thing I really liked, which was that Jasmine got a voice and it's a song about not being silenced. Uh, It's very frozen concealed don't feel stuff, but all right.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's, again, like I said, I think it's a fair, if not very, you know, mean review. It is a little <laughs> mean, but not undeserved.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess it's not written for the fan base. It's kind of written for people. But I just suggest you avoid this movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's definitely, I think, the case. Like, I think you said some other people, and they, they had the same reactions when they saw your Wreck-It Ralph review as well. <laughs> yeah,
0: they did, uh, within the same Disney groups. So, uh, I think... it. Uh, I think they might not like that I hate Disney, but
1: yeah, I don't even think you hate Disney necessarily. I mean, you spend the majority of your dad time, you know, spent watching Disney and and appreciating Disney. I think you don't. It's not that you don't like Disney.
0: They they think that I'm anti Disney and that I that I hate the corporation, but mostly it's just that they put out bad movies.
1: Yeah, as of lately, you know, all of their their strictly Disney stuff, like what those are the last three big projects, that and, you know, Dumbo as well here. So I mean
0: if your if your only good movies are coming from studios you bought, then you might have a problem.
1: <laughs> hmm Definitely Disney has lost the way a bit, I think, here, and Aladdin is, is probably the poster child for that idea.
0: <laughs> your only good movies are Star Wars, Marvel and Pixar. It's like uh you're not in you're not developing anything.
1: Yeah. Well, well. Speaking of other bad Disney movies, we have the latest Fox thing now, Whew. which is Dark Phoenix, huh? Yeah, it, uh, I don't know. I I know that Bros got a review coming for this one here now, uh, and it's I've gone through and edited
0: it. Uh, uh, it's a it's another scathing review.
1: Oh, that'll be. I'm sure that'll go over well with the fans. You think the Disney fans will reject this one too? Are they gonna st- Are they gonna stand by Dark Phoenix because it's a Disney property now?
0: I'm sure it's their favorite X-Men ever, based on what I see from the uh, Disney fans.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give me a sneak peek, anything kind of interesting from Bro's article? Just a little snippet, maybe? Oh,
0: man. Um, talks about how there are no, like, character motivations and how they kind of dragged out the most interesting X-Men plot in, like, a cynical um, cash grab that they didn't understand exactly what worked with the Fox property. It's kind of like a clash of corporations. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, there's there's one line um the best part of the film however it goes to magneto who tells charles you're always sor- sorry charles there's always a speech and no one cares i thought that was kind of emblematic of what the film's about like yeah. there's always people talking nobody cares about anything they say
1: well that's kind of the, the issue with the x-men series in general like all what is that? S- Eight, nine, ten of them now, or whatever the I Fox think X-Men films. Eleven of them, yeah, so, something like that. There's only one interesting conflict, and that's between Xavier and Magneto. Right. And they they have the same conflict in every film, and then the other interesting thing is that you've got all of the Wolverine stuff because Hugh Jackman's really good at playing Wolverine, and everyone else is not given proper you know, do. I think there's a whole generation of people who don't know how good the X Men are as characters because they've been so sloppily handled for so long.
0: And then they wrote into their best yeah, you know, what's widely considered their best plot, they just like plopped it on this movie that was very troubled.
2: And yeah, uh, this did that
1: before with the uh, last stand too. They kinda yeah. just like rolled out the Dark Phoenix saga, just take a big shit on it.
0: And it's not a good feeling. It's like this series that has a lot of ryan singer's influence it's it's gross i'm glad it bombed here
1: yeah i'm definitely hoping to see or i guess not see the x-men series for a long time like we need some distance i think from these films to really truly start over again
0: so we should probably take bets now what do you think of the new mutants
1: is that gonna happen still (laughs) i I, think it keeps getting pushed back is it even done
0: it's going to be, like, the wait between avatars by the time we get to
2: it.
1: If we do, I, I kind of just hope they, they silently drop it and everyone forgets about it, because I, I think a, a vast majority of people have probably forgotten about it by now.
0: I really think they need to uh, probably just crop it on to, like, um, what would you call it, a uh, Disney Plus.
1: Mm-hmm. Just throw it on, on there. They'll probably throw it on Hulu instead, because that's the... That that'll probably yeah, be their um, non-Disney strict stuff. So Although here's
0: I think... <laughs> here's a headline from Screen Rant: X-Men producer disavows Dark Phoenix, Apocalypse, and New Mutants. It's not going to turn out okay, is it? That never happens.
1: What is it, th- the three and one? <laughs>
0: yeah, I that movie is not even out. He already disavowed it.
1: Mm-hmm. That was ridiculous. I I I'm betting now that it won't come out at all. That's my um,
0: guess. I. I really think they either have to restart the shoot or just drop this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Alright, uh, let's take a look at the last one here. The one you have seen, uh, number one here at the box office, Secret Life of Pets 2.
0: So it's Toy Story with Pets. Uh, what's our feature film for the week? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you just want to move on?
0: <laughs> uh, it's not very good. It's not as fun as the first one. Uh, I like the first one because when the family leaves, the dog's like headbanging and listening to some metal music but uh, they kind of explored that full potential already it's nice mm-hmm. to see a uh, illumination not just get by on nonsense like i really wish something like missing link had this opening but uh you know it's it's not going it's gonna make its money back but not much more i think
1: mm-hmm. I, I always hate when uh, sequels do this as well they just slap a tool on the end of the, the title of the original films like you can't come up with an interesting subtitle
0: <laughs> right, uh, I mean, there's nothing interesting about it. The structure is bad. Uh, uh, Ezra likes it.
1: Mm. Did you take her to go see this one? Or?
0: Yeah, um, I, I, we didn't even finish it. We got through a lot of it, but it's it's not great.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure she she was uh, uh, kind of antsy to get out. You can use that as your excuse for walking out of the film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, even films she liked, like Penguins, it's it's a it's a long demand for a two year old to sit through a movie.
1: Yeah, no, I totally is. I'm surprised that you're already taking her there, but nice to start early, I suppose.
0: Well, the good thing is because I'm covered on a list, it doesn't cost anything for me, and they don't charge her until she's three. So,
1: that's yeah, good. But you know, I'm glad you also know when to kind of take off when needed as well.
0: Yeah, um, I like the idea that we could just try it out and get her ready for Frozen Two and uh, whatever she wants to see coming up.
1: Mm-hmm. You think she'll sit through that one all the way?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> her mind is her mind is blown by the by the trailers of that thing.
1: I was gonna ask you if you already watched the trailers. I didn't sit down and watch the trailers yet. I don't know if I want to for this one. So,
0: <laughs> she had never seen the trailer that uh, her first movie was IMAX Penguins, right?
2: Right. <laughs> so right. she
0: had the IMAX screen and first thing that comes up is Elsa like in the dark. It's just like <laughs> Oh my god. I, I've great. never seen like the light come on in her eyes like that. It was it was worth going.
1: That's that's a story you're gonna have to tell her when she's older as well.
0: Absolutely. And then uh, she ate so much chocolate, she was very hyper and started making penguin noises at the couple next to us. <laughs> so we had to leave just out of shame. <laughs>
1: that's that's really funny.
0: They didn't mind her, but but you know she was like running up to them a lot, and I didn't want to interfere. I want them to get their twenty dollars IMAX ticket worth.
1: Right, right, of course. A uh, twenty dollars, Jesus. I, I'm sure they. I was, I was gonna say, I'm sure they, they still kind of appreciated her cuteness running around and and all that.
0: Yeah, it makes it better. She also had her penguin doll next to us that she kept trying to feed milk, so that was fun.
1: <laughs> I, I'm gonna make this a reoccurring segment to hear about Ezra's <laughs> trips to the movies. I think that would be interesting.
0: That's one of my favorite things to write and talk about. Anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: all right well in the meantime let's move on to a movie uh, here our featured movie of the week it's a uh, the 50th anniversary for the wild bunch this week
0: get like a get like a exploitative trailer in here
1: Mm -hmm. something very profane i suppose it'd be emblematic of the film
0: i like the exploitation western trailers because they're always like there's like a sense of like whiplash and uh they're they're always like oh crane your neck the western games changed
1: Mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely a complete like 180 from you know the kind of very traditional hollywood westerns that's what it's kind of what you gravitate towards with all those kind of spaghetti films you talk when we were watching the film you talked about one of your favorites what cutthroats and iron right
0: yeah um i love the exploitative westerns and uh especially italian ones where the music really stings and pinches a little bit
1: Mm-hmm. I, I thought the the music for this one was really nice, but definitely not like your kind of more Kone, you know, loud trumpeting scores. You know, this one was definitely more of a subdued, you know, kind of. It's Mexican it's style. very sad Mexican
0: music, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is kind of fitting, I think, for the the general story going on here. Uh, this was your first time seeing the Wild Bunch, right?
0: No, I had seen it once, but like I said, I was doing a lot of uh, drugs and alcohol. So. Just like Peckinpah when he made this, I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a fitting way to to kinda of not remember the film, right?
0: <laughs> right. I'm sure he didn't remember making it, so I'm right there with it.
1: <laughs> it's it's definitely a film of, of excess. And I think we, we talked about its kind of central point in in shifting Hollywood away from the kind of, you know, do gooder code that had just uh, you know, dissolved the year before the Hollywood Hayes Code. And this film, kind um, of in tandem with uh, Bonnie and Clyde, really changed our depiction of violence. Yeah, this film
0: asks right away, what did you ever have a code for? Let's violate everything <laughs> you ever had in it.
1: Yeah, ex- excessive nudity, violence, you know, lots of profanity. It's, it's extreme well, in it's, all the great ways. <laughs>
0: I think most shockingly, it centers the violence around scenes with children. Which.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, cause That's how it opens up. It opens with this this kind of metaphorical image of the children torturing and burning the, the scorpion to death. Which is have you ever real... seen
0: uh, what's it called? Who could kill a child?
1: No, I don't think I have. What is that?
0: Uh, it's very reminiscent to this. It's like where these tourists go into this European village and uh, or uh, they go into this uh, foreign village and they're all the children are absurd. They're they're absurdly violent and they want to go kill the people so. Will the people kill the child to survive? That That's kind of the plot. It's a very gritty, um, very gritty Italian film.
1: Mm-hmm. I can see that. I mean, again, you get the sense there's a lot of the children around, but the story does focus more on the opposite generation, the, the older aging cowboys here kind of out of time, and the world has moved on without them.
0: So I feel like the opening shots say a lot about what's going to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I certainly agree. You got the, the setup there, you know, like I said, kind of the more Italian-Western style, where you're having all of the group assemble, you know, going to start this bank heist. And you get the the title cards with all the important players there. And it's juxtaposed with the kids, uh, like I said, torturing the Scorpion there.
0: And it starts out with the Temperance Union having their alcohol, anti-alcohol meeting, of course.
1: Mm-hmm. Which is, again, you know, another humorous juxtaposition here i think you get that that sense a lot the the main recurrent thing you see is just how out of place these these cowboys really are here especially you know like it's not like they're in you know dirt paved you know streets or anymore with kind of rickety old you know startup towns in the west these are these are full-fledged towns now we're in the the turn of the century it's like 1912 or 14 i think the story takes place in
0: yeah and it has the same feeling as if you've played, like, Red Dead Redemption, where the West is going and it's being replaced, uh, the trains being, like, a, a prominent symbol of the, of the movement toward industrialization.
1: Mm-hmm, which, and, you know, there's a train that plays a huge, you know, part later, but there's even more than that. You know, we got full-on machine guns here and even, a, you know, an automobile at one point later in the film, like, the, the um, transition. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. All of these things connected to a certain death of the mm-hmm. ideal
1: right yeah that's that's the overarching theme of the film here is the kind of the death of the West, and I think the Wild Bunch really is one of the the most exemplary films that portrays that alongside what um, um you know, un- unforgiven
0: oh yeah, at the opening we have the kids kind of circled around looking at um they're they're looking at these ants picking away at a scorpion <laughs> and it kind of is representative of these old violent generation getting replaced by these scrappy, new generation that don't know how to control their violence or they don't they don't have the same moral code as the wild bunch does
1: yeah no there's definitely a complete difference there and you see that through the interactions the characters have there's there's no honor uh, anymore but i think also the the other big factor of the wild bunch here is that there's a whole facet of demystifying the west and portraying the heroes as the kind of villainous characters they really are like that opening shootout does a really good job of portraying how unafraid they were to kind of murder innocent people and use like like you know there's a lot of over-the-top violence they're not afraid to go for the cheap shots or use people as you know human shields
0: just like sam peckinpah seems to be undaunted by anything that's uh terse or a little bit harsh um he he seems to fill his films with extreme masculinity and masculine mm-hmm. relationships that kind of enhance uh, men's ability to perform with each other.
1: Right, which is why I think, you know, he returned to the Western genre so so often. This is like, you know, one of his four big Westerns or so. And, you know, you get that masculine theme in a lot of them, especially something like uh, Ride the High Country and the kind of brotherly relationship of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid as well. Yeah. Masculinity plays a, a huge facet in into Peckinpah films, for right. sure.
0: Interestingly, I might prefer, like, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, uh, something uh, something closer to tradition, but he's never all the way there.
1: Yeah, well, this is certainly, uh, I think, probably the most noteworthy film Peckinpah ever made. This is kind of his most beloved film, um, you know, and one of the most important ones, I think, certainly for sure, it, it helped in shaping the Western genre and American cinema as a whole. But I, I think we kind of both agreed this isn't quite our favorite from him. I, I think I do like it a bit more than you do, though.
0: Uh, I think I like "Bring Me the Head" and "Straw Dogs" is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I found it kind of funny while watching the film that you had issues with the the more misogynist <laughs> elements here, and I'm like, oh, Why? I wonder what he thinks of "Straw Dogs" then, because <laughs> 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 that one's really misogynist.
0: I don't think I like either of them. I think I respect them both.
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone is supposed to like "Straw Dogs." Like, no. it's not meant for you to enjoy. <laughs>
0: I don't think I like Sam Peckinpah either. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, he he's an intentionally you know kind of provocative director. There, his his whole intent is to to frustrate and you know kind of enrage you with the depiction of violence and the senselessness of it. Like it's all purposeful, especially in something like Straw Dogs. Like the reason that Straw Dogs is so hated, it means it's a success.
0: Yeah, I think it. I think this one especially has so much the quantity of new ideas of new ways to shoot violence against a code and it's also a film about breaking moral code and even though these guys have one that's very loose it's not very informative for them
1: mm-hmm. well and that's that's certainly a big facet of it is the signature peck and paw cinematography is kind of on full display here you know super super fast editing you know some shots being only you know point something of a second or whatever yeah and then you know crazy you know motion zoom shots and lots and lots and lots of slow motion
0: i feel like the hero of this is in the edit though Uh, a lot of good stuff's done with slow motion that really carry uh his direction i feel like he's well paired with an editor this time
1: yeah, I think that that's the idea of it. Is that the the excessive slow motion is supposed to emphasize the weight of each killing there? Yeah, you know, like actually give it because the characters certainly don't give it any you know emotion when they and they coldly you know coldly murder someone.
0: And I think like the most the most all the striking things for me are done in editing. I don't know who's the editor here, but they did a fantastic job. Uh, I love a lot of the cuts of it. It loves to go from like loud sound to complete silence.
1: Yeah, and that's one thing for sure. This film is a, a loud, loud film. If you're going to watch this, make sure your neighbors aren't listening.
0: Yeah, I had it turned up way up, too, because I, I was really soaking in some of the sound. Uh, I love the uh, very dramatic Spanish sad guitars. and. I know at some point I said to you, I was like, something bad happens every time someone sings, and I realize every time someone does anything, something bad happens.
1: Mm-hmm. I actually, did look up. I think I think this is interesting. The editor of the film, his name is uh, Lou Lombardo, and he did a lot of uh, stuff for um, Robert Altman. Yeah, a lot of Robert Altman sense. films. He did what uh, California Split, Thieves Like Us, Long Goodbye, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and uh, Bruce McCloud. God, it makes
0: a lot of sense, M- McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, especially when you look at like the editing of the shootout later on.
1: Mm-hmm, I I definitely agree. You can see that kind of connection there, and. Um, You know, but I I think in general that we agree that the the Wild Bunch, you know, is a hugely influential in terms of its editing and violence portrayal. We said that. But uh, I think one of the the better moments in terms of the violence is there's a really great uh, robbery sequence. The train robbery sequence is very fun.
0: You pointed out that it's very similar to the one in Breaking Bad.
1: Yeah, like because you you mentioned it was kind of weird for them to hide out under the bridge there waiting for like the train. But I'm like, that's that's literally the thing they do in Breaking Bad. They're making a callback to the Wild Bunch here. Which you know, I don't course, even
0: br- I don't even know if it was the one under the bridge. It was the one where he like lifted the thing down and the guy kind of fell out and he had the gun to get some. It was just oh
1: oh yeah. <laughs> it was humorous
0: see, the way he was hidden. But yeah, the same way they frame the bridge exactly the same as they do in Breaking Bad.
1: Well, I think it's always interesting because the other thing you see as well, is they got the big train, you know, the, the explosion, the bridge explosion, which, of course, is like one of the most referenced things, I think, in all of film history. Like and, and you always like people point back, it's either like a reference to Good, Bad and the Ugly or more famously like Bridge on the River Kwai. And, you know, you see yeah. it later and stuff like Tropic Thunder as well kind of calls back. But the big one as well, like, you know, people tend to forget that it was done all the way back in the silent era first with Buster Keaton's The General.
0: Oh this film's good with its silences too
1: mm-hmm. well, that's the thing that that uh the train robbery sequence it's all kind of dialogue less like it's all more conveyed through action and motion, which is always wonderful if you're doing a high sequence, the best ones are always filmed in in silence
0: and that that episode of Breaking Bad Two follows the same path once they get to setting up the train, and what happens is why it it's allowed to carry so much tension it's like it's like a fifth. Fifth season episode. It's called Dead Freight. It looks like uh, yeah,
1: that's I think... incredible. Mm-hmm. Great episode. Great, you know, part of it there, and you know, it kind of calls back to rest of Breaking Bad's Western influence because that's essentially what it is. It's a lot of the the ideas of the West, especially out in the you know the New Mexico desert. Yeah,
0: um, I've always loved New Mexico, of course, as a setting. Um, it plays into also good, the bad, and the ugly territory, which you could feel a lot of in this film.
1: Yeah, well, the thing is that uh wild bunch it definitely falls in that category like of of spaghetti western ish yeah not quite but it's certainly in its you know kind of portrayal of the characters demystifying of the west you know penchant for violence you know and like we said the cinematography it's lots of great zoom shots close-ups like that that use it get that kind of uh, leone feel
0: um i've noticed i noticed throughout the film structurally that it it it's severely (laughs) indebted to that film Uh, a lot of the uh context and uh a lot of the patterns, the story context, come right out of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which was only mm-hmm. a couple of years before.
1: Right. I think the, kind of the big difference here is Good, Bad, and the Ugly's focus on character versus Wild Bunch's focus on theme. You know, the, the characters, Yeah. The the Wild Bunch characters, like I think the, the really notable ones, like you got William Holden as Pike, who's the great leader character. Great. And he's got a yeah. really great relationship with, uh, you know, um. Uh, Dutch, Dutch, which is Ernest Borgnine's character. They got Borgnine's good. Kind of thing going yeah, but other than that, like the the bunch isn't terribly notable except for like Angel, who's mostly noteworthy for being a giant hothead and then getting <laughs> captured by the you know the Mexican Honestly, army. There, <laughs> Angel's
0: best moments when he's dragged by the car. So. <laughs> I don't.
1: Know, I thought I, I, I enjoy his emotional moment where he he shoots the the girl at first. Like I I like that, but I know you definitely didn't. You weren't a big oh, fan I, of them laughing that uh, off.
0: No, I thought it was abhorrent, but I thought that's by design.
2: So.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Like everyone in the film is some level of abhorrent. Even our good guys here, Pike and Dutch. You know, they've they kind of do their bad things and whatnot. But obviously the, the the villains of the film. You know, they they make them really abhorrent. You're supposed to hate them.
0: Yeah, lately I just think more often. Like maybe it's changed since I had a daughter that I watch things differently. Because you're I, right. Because I, I look at things like hey. Uh, Cutthroat's nine, and it's it has a lot of rape and whatever in it. And uh, I look at something like this; it's it's just unfortunate how uh, how hatefully seems to be about women.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like I said, I think that's entirely intentional. You know, draw the parallel right back to Straw Dogs again. I don't think it matters though.
0: (laughs) You know, I, I don't think it matters if you intended to hate women if you still did it.
1: Oh, I think that the idea is to make you think because that's the thing is that I don't think the film is you know like uh celebratory that i think the film is intentionally asking you to turn an eye to this because the idea here is that it's not that they're they're making you know grotesque characters so much as they're portraying grotesque characters that the western genre prior to now kind of refused to or kind of glossed over you know they they painted them as heroic people when that wasn't truly the case
0: yeah i don't feel like there's a lot of nuance to any of that (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Again, I, I don't know what you want from a Peckinpah film. Nuance? That's not his thing.
0: <laughs> There's no subtlety or, or nuance to any of it. The story is very badly written, I thought.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I'm definitely inclined to screw I wouldn't say anything about The Wild Bunch is inherently bad, and I'm sure you you received some flack on that from ve- vehement supporters of the film. You know, people claim it as one of the, the best Western films ever, and that influence is certainly easy to be seen. You know, I know the, the list I wrote I don't know. on the best Westerns, I... it didn't.
0: I feel like it's hard to separate that from where's the influence coming from. From Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, it's so close.
1: I, I, you know, I'm, I'm inclined to say they're, they're very different. They're, they're kind of in a similar camp, but I don't see them as doing the same thing, certainly at all. The Good, Bad, and the Ugly isn't inherently thematically the same at all.
0: I agree. It's a much better film. <laughs>
2: That's
1: not what I'm saying, but I agree that I, I do enjoy the Good, Bad, and the Ugly more. I think it's a bit better constructed, and you know, a lot of the only stuff. In general, but Peckinpah certainly makes his mark here. Like, again, the biggest takeaway here is that that use of violence, the theme of the the death of the, the West, you know, and, and really pushing the boundaries of what we consider socially acceptable for film.
0: Uh, I think all my significant problems about the writing are in terms of pacing. That uh, originally it received a cut that cut out a lot of the exposition and character details, and uh, later it it was like received as a victory, right, to put those things back in, but I don't think that it means that it's inherently well paced. I think they're probably cut for a reason, besides like code reasons.
1: Oh yeah, I think that's certainly the case. You know, basically the only version you get your hands on now is the director's cut, which is almost two and a half hours, which is rather lengthy. It is a it is a western epic, so it kind of you know it's it's fitting, but the pace doesn't necessarily match that. There's lots of lulls in the story, Yeah. And, you know it's a it's, a it's very that we... it's very drifty early
0: on. It goes in a different pace than you think it would
1: yeah i I certainly agree that you could probably lob off a good half hour of the film, but I wouldn't know where to <laughs> I wouldn't know where to pick from is the trouble
0: well I was reading like Ebert's thoughts on like the cuts and stuff, and he was saying like well, when, when you add the cuts, you lost the motivations so. so I mm-hmm. understand it, but I don't think it's well designed that way
1: right right uh you know I certainly agree with that that I would like to see the original kind of version of this and see what it does, but you know perhaps it wouldn't necessarily be better. Uh, you know more character stuff is nice certainly this film could use more character nuance here but i think it might also be an intrinsic problem with like you said the writing i just think that the rest of the cast isn't quite as well written as the relationship between pike and dutch
0: and i mean there's even characters like angel or angel not not angel eyes is uh there i go again
1: maybe you are right about the influence
0: (laughs) even the yeah ancillary characters like angel i don't feel like he has a lot of very, very developed personality.
1: I don't know how much they even speak any lines really in the film.
0: Right. And uh, when people do speak, it doesn't necessarily matter. Um,
1: there there are some, like I said, that really good lines and interactions. Like the, the central relationship between William Holden and Ernest Borgnine's characters, that's really strong and they have good conversations and some good lines, you know. My,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> my favorite line was so simple is when he's getting dragged by the car and he turned around and he's like, I
1: hate to see that. I hate to see that too. -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a really kind of, you know, uh, hard to watch moment there watching him get dragged like that and beaten up and, you know, terribly tortured. And again, I think it it goes to strengthen the kind of hate that we have for uh, the Mexican force.
0: Oh, if you got the I hate to see that now, it would be put into a meme on Twitter right away and applied to every other uh, negative thing. (laughs) everything yeah. that uh mexicans do the alt-right would pick it up and be like i hate to see that it would be terrible
1: yeah that would be bad let's not give them any ideas
0: oh right <laughs> jesus christ
1: <laughs> so uh i know at this time you want to talk about uh ranking the westerns we have talked about here kind of going yeah. for our history because we like to do this on a regular basis
0: and i wish it were going to be i um, mean it's going to be more contentious eventually when we're fitting things in but i feel like we're probably pretty close. Should we start with the bottom here?
1: Yeah, I uh, like the the bottom one. I think what this is our fourth Western we've talked about now. Is that it? I think that's it. Unless
0: we're I counting guess, Midnight I Cowboy. I guess it is. <laughs> uh, do we? I don't. No, I don't no, think no, Midnight so.
1: Cowboy is not actually a Western. That was a joke we made.
0: I know. I I'm a little bit more flexible, but I don't think we have anything that'd be flexible about here yet.
1: No, I mean it's not a lot. It's only four, but we're just gonna. You know, we're recapping what we've talked about so far. This one, it's so we started with Shane, Great Silence, Red River, and now Wild Bunch. And actually, I think that's my order from order. top to bottom. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, have we are we going to do them in order of uh, good to bad then?
1: That that is uh, my order, good to bad. I think uh Shane, one of the top five westerns ever made, one of the great, yeah. great Silence, very close behind it. You know, super influential. We talked about you know a lot. Of, that's the kind of Italian side of things there um you know red river loved red you know red river very kind of adventurous classic western very you know Mm -hmm. you know john wayne spirit hawks there as well and then wild bunch which is kind of on the tail end of things there i like wild bunch a lot definitely more than you do understand its kind of significance in the role of demystifying the west but you know again i I don't think it's all the way there it's excesses sometimes a little too much
0: i wonder if you like red river a lot more than you like this
1: Oh, I definitely do. I love Red River. Red River is such okay. an e- easy indulgence for me.
0: <laughs> okay, I think you were already saying that. Okay, uh, I think that Red River for sure needs to be placed above this. I don't think we have anything contentious, but once we get to some of the Italians, I'm sure I'm going have a. A few words for you.
1: <laughs> I think. I think the only thing is that really, like, I think both Shane and The Great Silence are pretty close to kind of perfect Western films. Yeah. And if you told me that you like The Great Silence more, I'd be like, yeah, I could see that. Certainly, it's it's got it's it's place there. Like those ones are somewhat contentious for me. I think they're like back and okay. back in my ranking.
0: So you want to put Great Silences first? Let me. No, no, in. no. I'm saying.
1: I'm saying Shane okay. is still kind of number one for me. Uh, just Shane, barely, though. second
0: place, then. <laughs> The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which we haven't even done yet. It's
1: no, we haven't. It. But that's one we we'll, we probably should get to, as far as for our Clint Eastwood West, Western. Western probably. I feel like. Or something.
0: I feel like we reached a block because you don't want to do the first film.
1: <laughs> I yeah, I don't. Know, why can't we just jump uh, to that? It's not. They're not intrinsically connected. You know. I know. We
0: we could do them separately.
1: I think I'd be fine with that. That's—I'm sure people would want to hear about the good, bad, and the ugly the most out of all three, anyway. That's the iconic one and has the most kind of to talk about.
0: Um. Uh, by the way, between this and we were going to, what were we? We go to do, True Grit this week. True
1: Grit. True Grit also has its 50th anniversary this month, and it was kind of a toss-up between which one we want to talk about because you love the the book for True Grit quite a lot, but you know, oh I, I yeah, kind of push,
0: it's yeah, it's one of the best American novels ever written, Charles. Ford. I think.
1: We decided to push for this because it's one you hadn't really remembered too much. and was worth revisiting, and I think it's the, the kind of more important film to talk about. You know, it's a hugely influential really? source for yeah. 50th Anniversaries.
0: If you say so. Uh,
1: yeah, I think it's undeniable. True Grit really doesn't have any, any marker on society, I think.
0: Oh, that, that's harsh. I think it informed every Western story that came after it
1: potentially did but the film certainly didn't no, John no, Wayne no. kind of w- walking around drunkenly and you know I mean yelling lines from the book.
0: <laughs> it's a it's a pretty traditional John Wayne performance it's it's not not nothing special in his career right
1: certainly not but he won an oscar for it anyway
0: <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> uh year uh some of this other stuff yeah, 1969 we talked about this on, a good
1: year on Midnight Cowboy, we talked about how they both lost out to John Wayne because they felt they owed him a pity Oscar.
0: <laughs> Easy Rider was that year, Butch Cassidy. Imagine this year with Butch Cassidy, Midnight Cowboy, Wild Bunch, True Grit. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, all the sixties, late sixties were a huge, you know, turning point in terms of, you know, film here. All of these are huge influential films that we, you know, still remember today when we talk about.
0: I mean, I think when we end up looking at like what we cover most, it's going to be a lot of '60s, '70s stuff. There's, there's a lot that's of that's
1: generally the that that height of the kind of auteur era. Yeah, I think we generally agree that late '60s, kind of early '70s, that's kind of the peak of Hollywood filming. Like, I guess through the end of the '70s as well, because you got stuff like Apocalypse Now coming up on the end.
0: Well, our podcast doesn't. Well, we cover quality films and we like to talk about good things, but o- overall, it's usually auteur focus, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think we, we both subscribe to auteur theory pretty strongly here. Certainly I do with my, you know, penchant for Orson Welles and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I think I'm think close to it. Uh, although I'm more likely to take a director who hasn't done any other good work and, and celebrate, like, one thing that uh, I believe a lot of directors just have one perfect movie in them.
1: Mm-hmm. Potentially. I think that's an interesting kind of theory to have. What about the people who end up putting out more than one perfect movie? What do you like, think of that?
0: I have trouble with someone like Clint Eastwood because I don't really feel him as an auteur, but he's made excellent works forever.
1: Uh, I I would say he's an auteur. He definitely has a through a thematic through line of the kind of films yeah. he makes. So I think that's I mean, definitely he, there. He he's just not as but... strong as an auteur as someone like you know John Ford or you know Francois you know Truffaut or whoever.
0: I don't think he makes like an artistic statement that's a uh, you know necessarily the same as yeah like you say wells
1: Mm-hmm. you yeah, know his is definitely more politically motivated i would say eastwood is a director in some ways
0: it, it's funny because i i may not agree with him but i like him the most usually
1: mm-hmm. i think that's uh interesting though uh, he, his last couple efforts haven't been too impressive for you
0: the the, the mule is okay uh, i i don't know uh what was the other one? The five fifteen twenty five to Paris.
1: Yeah, yeah, something like that. Which was not terrible. I think he did Sully right before that.
0: Yeah, not a not a lot of great stuff lately. But uh, uh, he's still hanging in there. He's shooting another mm-hmm. thing for Warner Brothers now.
1: Oh, oh, I guess speaking of auteurs, I do have one final thing to say about the Wild Bunch. So I don't know if you know about this, but in the works right now is a remake of the Wild Bunch being done by Mel Gibson.
0: <laughs> uh, what? <laughs>
1: that that sounds like a joke but it's not that's the that's not a punchline or anything that's a serious thing that's been kind of going on for a couple of months now and talks why I, I don't know i don't know why you think you could possibly remake this film
0: i mean i should i don't even think we're even that far off on it sometimes it seems like we have a lot of disagreements but i think the film's too good to remake
1: yeah oh well, i think it's just going to like the problem you're going to have is that you're going to lose the the time and purpose of it, and it's going to end up becoming some kind of cheesy Magnificent yeah. Seven style Western instead, which is not good.
0: I think that's an assumption you could easily make based on the title. It's nothing like that. But,
1: no, it's um, not at all. You know, it's a again, it, it's all about kind of the violence and betrayal of, you know, uh, you know, modern... Uh, depictions of cowboys and whatnot and that idea of a more pristine you know history it's a complete rejection of that and i i get the idea that mel gibson being kind of a very uh violent director in his own way um, might might seem like an ideal choice for that but i i don't think that he'll intrinsically have the idea i don't don't even think anyone necessarily could i wouldn't even necessarily trust scorsese to make the, the wild bunch again i would be afraid especially because the the climate around which you make the film is such an integral part of *The Wild Bunch*.
0: I don't even know who you'd give it to now. I don't think you should remake tour driven films anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Very few. I mean, look, look at the last time they made a remake of *Straw Dogs*, and that didn't go over well.
0: <laughs> no, I, I don't, I don't remember the remake that well, but not very well.
1: They put what J- James Marsden in the Dustin Hoffman role, which doesn't. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Nothing there.
1: No. So yeah, uh petition to not remake the Wild Bunch, please.
0: But also if you want to make it a better film, I'm okay with it.
1: I don't know if they can though. No, I not think, with Mel Gibson. I think this is a film that you might like more, uh, in later viewings and kinda of come to appreciate more as you kind of get into things, but I think it's it's definitely a harder film to invest into. You yeah. know, it doesn't make it easy for you. <laughs> Next
0: time I want to feel miserable for four hours I'll just rewatch it. <laughs>
1: I think, uh, it.
0: I think it i think it reminded me of a did you see that western last year kind of italian style um what was that called
1: I, uh, oh, oh what was that let the corpses tan yeah let the corpses tan. Yeah, it, the corpses yeah. tan. it reminded yeah, me exactly. an awfully lot of that yeah no but there's no breast milk shooting out of someone on a being crucified i don't think that was something that happened in that film right
2: <laughs>
0: there's a lot <laughs> that happens in that film that uh, that one's also more artistic nonsense. Uh,
1: yeah, no. I, I to answer your question, no, I did not see it because I don't uh, go out to the movies.
0: I I don't even know if it showed anywhere near me, but I <laughs> I, I think that might be worth it if you're looking for something that's uh, ethically compromised and it's a modern Western film.
1: Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think there's still a niche for that. I'm always interested to hear about films kind of trying to re. You know, return to old styles and things that we did, because largely this kind of film is dead. I think that's that's one interesting thing you can say about The Wild Bunch, is that The Wild Bunch is kind of like this final marker on the the completion of the Western genre at that point. Yeah. Like, m- most other Westerns made after that point, they're just not the same. They don't measure up. Very few, you know, are able st- to compete.
0: I was still going to say it was only made because Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was done, but...
1: <laughs> I don't know, I'd be interested to see if you can find something that intrinsically connects the two, like if Peckinpah states in an interview or something that he was influenced. I wouldn't doubt it, but I, I don't have the immediate evidence to go off of, so I'm dubious.
0: I need something more than the structure in Angel Eyes, right? So maybe yeah. I'll come back to that. <laughs> that would be a fun essay to write. If I ever return to it, maybe I'll look at that.
1: I think I'd be interested to hear the similarities between that, the spaghetti influence on Peckinpah Westerns or something.
0: But uh, for now, I have a little too much bias, and uh, I think we covered it all right.
1: Yeah, I think we did a pretty good job, and we we did our best not to allow you to spread your hate about the film too much here.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's so easy when the director's so hateful, isn't it?
1: I suppose, I suppose.
0: Um, other than that, uh, what do we have coming next week? Do we have Alien coming up next two weeks?
1: It might be. I don't know. I'll have to check the dates again.
0: Uh, Alien soon. We don't know what's next. So it'll be fun.
1: We never know what's next. That's that's the whole kind of conceit of this podcast, that we don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> we'll uh, talk first, research later, and we'll catch you next time. Uh...